Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp magazines for over 25 years. Online at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event Podcast, Bob Dice and Wyatt Doyle discuss the life and career of artist George Gross, from pulps to paperbacks. The talk was recorded on Friday, August 5, 2022, at PulpFest 50 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Good evening. Uh, my name is Wyatt Doyle. This is my partner, Bob Dice. We are co-librarians in the Men's Adventure Library series, and um, we're debuting uh, a George Gross book here at PulpFest tonight. You can see we have it available in two editions, hardcover and softcover. Um, Last year, Mike Chomko, or as he's known to some, Rider of the Purple, asked us if uh, we'd be interested in delivering a presentation on Fiction House mainstay George Gross at Pulp Fest 50. Uh, we're fans of Gross, so we said sure. And we thought if we're researching Gross for a talk, why not research Gross for a book and a talk? Uh, because you can't do justice to a long and storied career like Gross's in a brief talk, or as we would learn, even in a single book. Uh, so with so much to cover, we're going to touch on as many aspects as we can tonight, and we hope that, that, that this presentation and our book encourage you to seek out more of the man's work, because there is so much more than we're going to be able to, to, to show you and discuss tonight. Um, we do want to acknowledge the contributions of uh, illustration art historian David Saunders, who in the book establishes a, a thorough and detailed record of Gross's life and career. Um, he also supplied some of the Gross covers and illustrations that are included in the book and in this presentation. Um, we also want to thank Jane Kunstler, uh, Deborah Kunstler, and Linda Swanson for their enthusiastic assistance, support, and contributions, and of course, the mighty Bill Lampkin for his patience and technical expertise. <laughs> Let me talk about George's life a little bit. Hey, and, and again, I add my thanks to all the same people, and, and including David Saunders, who his pulp artist site is just amazing. And if you want to know something about one of the pulp artists, that's, that's where you go to start. Um, George Gross was born in uh, 1909 in New York City, passed away in 2003. And one of the things that fascinates me and I think Wyatt too about him is he was one of the few artists who worked in that golden era where the pulps, paperbacks, and men's adventure magazines were all being published and sort of mushing together a little bit in terms of chronology. And he, he Mort Kunstler, uh, Raphael de Soto, you know, just a handful of artists worked in all three of those genres, and they're all related. Of course, we focus on the men's adventure magazines, and it's partly because when we got into, started doing this, so 2013, I think, was our first book right. um, in the men's adventure library series, and one of the things that I found really interesting was that unlike the pulp magazines, there really wasn't a heck of a lot of uh, information out, out in the internet or in books about men's adventure magazines. There were a couple of good books uh, that you folks may know. Um, men's Advent it's one's called Men's Adventure Magazines, 
and one's called It's a Man's World, and those two books actually helped get me started in collecting men's adventure magazines. Gross worked after, after starting out in the pulps in the, uh, in the, and then in the, in the 40s, 30s and 40s, he got into um, paperbacks and top-tier MAMS like uh, MAMS, Men's Adventure Magazines. We call them MAMS for short. Um, he got involved in the, the, the top-tier Argosy, True, Saga, but he also started working for the mid-tier, what I call the mid-tier Men's Adventure Magazines, Top tier, you know, they had hundreds of thousands of readers, what I call the mid-tier, you know, 100 to 200,000 or so. And then they got the bottom tier, uh, usually 50,000 uh, to 100,000 issues at a time. Gross work for all of them, uh, as well as doing some of the best paperback covers around in, in, the, in the 60s and into the 70s and the 50s, too. Um, and so when we got this idea from Mike, um, I looked around and realized there wasn't any book that focused on his men's adventure magazine artwork. And he did do both covers and interior illustrations, but we focus on our book on the covers. Um, and uh, why I mean, the thing is, investigating even a, a prolific artist like Gross is complicated. Um, particularly when they've passed on and left little in the way of public documentation of their lives and careers beyond their published work. I mean, if you're lucky, whatever memories remain among those who they knew and worked with, but um, for someone of Gross's generation, finding living contemporaries is a, is a real challenge. So we were extremely fortunate to receive invaluable input and insights uh, from someone who not only knew Gross, but considered him family someone who was mentored by him and remained close to him and, until Gross's passing. So we'd like to thank that someone for his singular contribution to the book and as a special surprise for Pulp Fest to this presentation. Uh, we give you illustration art legend number 11, Mort Kunstler. His father and my father were dear friends. I used to call him Uncle George when I was a kid. George's father and my father were boyhood friends. Well, his father's name was Dave uh, Gross. His father went to Pratt and graduated probably about, uh, uh, oh, 1910 is my guess, and had three children, all who also went to Pratt. Dave made a very good living as a, uh, an illustrator. He ended up with an organized studio of about 75 artists. And he was a fashion artist. And you have to realize there were no color photos in those days. And there was Montgomery Ward catalogs and CS Robot catalogs. And those were all full color paintings. Of, of men's suits or women's clothing, and it had to be done by artists. Well, Dave was very good at it, and the next thing they knew, they were asking him to do more and more until he, he, he ended up with uh, this vast company of, as I said, artists working for him. Uh, he had three children. One was Beatrice, who also went to Pratt. The others were uh, 
Arthur Gross, who went to Pratt, and the oldest, George Gross, who was my mentor. George was a fabulous person. Uh, that's not saying much, I guess, of course, right, right away. But he helped me in every possible way. His father and my father, Tom, were buddies, and every Saturday they got together just to schmooze, you know. And um, he started taking me up there on uh, with him to work, you know, when I was, I guess, about eight or ten. And uh, they'd set me up. They'd do what they were doing and kibitz around and just fool around and talk about the old days. But they'd set me up with a a pen and charcoal or pencils and, and a snow life. And uh, instructions were always, put down what you see. Put down what you see. <laughs> and uh, I did. And I certainly learned to draw there. Of course, I carried that off at home too. You can't do it on just a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> well, it, it was a very exciting thing for me to go up there on a Saturday and see real artists painting in oils on easels <laughs> and seeing reproductions of what they had painted the week before or, you know, a month before. And um, it, it, was, it was a very, I, I had a sort of inside track. You know, it's, um, it's kind of mind-blowing to me that Mort Kunstler, who is probably one of, if not the best-known illustration artists uh, in the country, was George's mentor. And although we had visited with Mort uh, a couple years ago and, and found that out, hadn't really talked to him about it much, and I give, I give White a lot of credit. He's, he, he did a lot of calls with Mort to get these recordings, and it revealed a lot of interesting things. And, of course, aside from being a family friend and a mentor, you know, Mort was probably looking at magazines like this. Uh, that The one on the left is Western, uh, Real Western Magazine from 1935 and Bullseye Detective from 1938. And I uh, uh, wonder if you can guess who the model was. That is uh, George Gross himself, serving as his own model for the murder master in uh, 1938. Very interesting that that's the uh, that was the door prize, Mike. That that reproduction of this issue. You, you are on it. <laughs> I mean, if there's, I was saying that. <laughs> I thought if there's a copy of this issue on, on anyone's table, they better add a new sticker to it and maybe raise the price a little. The photo of Gross is um, actually one of Mort Kunstler's reference photos uh, of George, and it dates from almost two decades later, in. Um, 1956 or so. So if George's appearance had changed a little, uh, his affinity for snappy headwear remained uh, consistent. As things developed with uh, Arthur and, and George, uh, Arnie sort of got the, um, the plaudits of the family because he was getting advertising work. It was during World War II and color photography hadn't come in yet. And, and, and there's great demand for color artwork. 
also, uh, Arnie, in retrospect, uh, his work was not nearly as good as George's, but he was getting the advertising on, and George was doing pulp covers. So uh, instead of uh, five or seven hundred dollars, or even a thousand dollars for a picture, George was getting a hundred and fifty. But there was a big difference because Arnie didn't work that often. And George had one cover to do after another, and he just kept getting better at it, and better and better, and he never went a day without work. Uh, there were always companies that wanted to give him uh, covers to do. He graduated from paperbacks to doing other artwork. When, when, uh, uh, I shouldn't say paperbacks, but pulps. Mm-hmm. He did the original pulps, you know, like Doc Savage and... Uh, things of that sort and uh, uh, but then as things advanced the pulps started to fade out and the paperbacks came in in the early 50s I would say was just changing because I remember going out to work and George saying don't go looking for pulp work it's dying go look for paperbacks he was he guided me that way my whole career and in any case, he started getting paperbacks to do, and they had digest-sized books, and they all needed paper uh, painted covers. So that was a lot of artwork, and a lot of art- artists were busy working away. Color photography, uh, color photography was not a factor. Yeah, again, it's just kind of mind-blowing that George Gross guided Mort into what became an amazing career. And uh, one of the things the, the, we've got this slide up here for is just to talk about the fact that in the realms of pulp uh, and men's adventure magazines and even the realms of in, in paperbacks, too, there was a lot of reuses of artwork. And so, for example, this painting by George was used on both this 1941 Western Aces issue and then a decade later was on The Branded Lawman, a paperback, paperback ace double, one, of the, one side of the ace double. Pulp and Man publishers were also in the paperback business, a lot of them. Um, and so artwork had a way of traveling from one format to the other. Um, however, we've talked to a number of artists who work for those three genres, pulps, paperbacks, men's adventure magazines, and although they were, their artwork was sometimes sort of treated as clip art and recycled and reused a number of times, um, many, most of the time they weren't consulted and didn't get an extra fee. Occasionally, but it depended on the, on the publisher. There was, a, there was a lot of just outright theft of their images. I uh, graduated from Pratt in 1950. And I did samples like other artists, and I didn't know what really what to do with them. He gave me advice on where to go look, and I went and showed my work. And after a while, I started getting some work. And I was living in Brooklyn with my parents. And I'd come by George's after I showed my work to someone, and someone had promised me some work, and he used to give me very practical lessons. <laughs> it's not a job when someone likes your work. It's not a job when they say they're going to give you work. It's not a job when they give you the work. It's not a job even when you deliver the 
the work and it's okay. It's a job when the check doesn't bounce. <laughs> that's, now that's depression, obviously, depression talk. It's a job when the check doesn't bounce. Yeah, as, as this audience knows, uh, Pulp's had a wide variety of content and, and Gross's time in the Pulp Trenches gave him an opportunity to paint all kinds of varied, varied subjects and scenarios and make them really eye-catching. And uh, he did that as well uh, when he started doing paperback covers and, and Men's Adventure magazine cover and interior art. And those, uh, the approaches that he took to his artwork actually made a real impression on Mort in the early years of his career and the guidance he gave him uh, following his graduation, Mort's graduation from the Pratt Institute in 1950. He had a studio downtown Manhattan. I lived in Brooklyn, and it was quite a thing to, you know, drag your big, heavy portfolio into the city and walk around in, in July <laughs> looking for work, you know, showing your samples. So he spoke to the people that uh, 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 ran the studio, and he said, why don't you give this kid a drawing board? You got an empty drawing board over there. He could do spots for you, run some errands, and you won't have to run back and forth to Brooklyn. And, he, and, and that made such a big difference in my career at that time. I don't think it would have changed it, but it made it a lot easier for me in the next few years. And I had a home base in the city with a, with a New York City phone number. I wasn't just a, you know, a, a student operating out of his house, you know. And um, anyway, he gave me hints on where to go. He gave me critiques on everything I did. And um, in general, I don't know if there was anyone that could have been more giving to me than George was. And he always kept me level-headed, always, no matter how excited I get about a promise of this or that, he said, hey, settle down, do this. <laughs> he was just about the best influence that anyone could have had. I have to say, in retrospect, that I think I had a lot of talent. I think I would have had a good career. But he made those early years so much easier and shorter if you follow me. I mean, the, the first five years could be torment for Norris. And, uh, God, he took those five years and condensed it into two and made them an easy two. If you're thinking there's something familiar about the furious uh, fellows depicted on these two rather striking uh, man covers, uh, you're right. You've met Mort Kunstler artist. Now meet Mort Kunstler death-defying racer and tough-as-nails king of bandits, as rendered by George Gross. George had a wonderful sense of humor. He gave you, you know, straight stuff with, with lines. He was a one-liner. Wonderful personality. Nicest guy in the world. And uh, he was so kind to me. I tell you, he gave me so much time with advice. And... Um, I, I, I had this, I guess, far surpassed him eventually by doing, you know, the, the most expensive kind of uh, advertising art. And uh, he went and moved up into the paperback covers, which pushed the pulps out. And he kept busy at paperbacks, and he was very good at it. 
is one of the best. He worked for the best companies. He worked for Bantam, for Dell, for uh, Avon, uh, the best of them. Always had time for me, though. Yeah, I think one of the things that ties all three genres together, the pulps, men's adventure magazines, paperback covers that George worked for and that Mort worked for too, is that uh, they all had these gritty, intense action scenes. Um, And, you know, that pulp feel, you know, it's sort of like, you know it when you see it. Um, They all had it. Men's adventure magazines are not the same as pulp magazines, of course, but they certainly had pulp magazine DNA. And uh, they added some other elements. They kept the painted covers, thankfully, uh, but they added a number of other things that were, became popular in the 50s, as you know. Um, you know, the cheesecake photos, those were popular. That, that started actually in World War II, because the, the magazines, the Yank and other magazines that the troops read had cheesecake photos. And so the Men's Adventure magazines kept those. They kept the, or they added those. Uh, they also added um, outdoor and, and travel articles, true crime and detectives type stories, and uh, celebrity. And they also took elements from the celebrity scandal rags, like confidential, and kind of mixed those different elements up. There's a misperception in, among some people that um, men's adventure magazines were, were always true stories. Uh, I've heard some people say that. And the, the fact is, you know, at least half of the stories and most of them, and the, they vary a lot. There were over 160 different men's adventure magazine titles and thousands of individual issues from the early 50s to the mid-70s before the genre died out. But... Um, even the true stories in men's adventure magazines, if you read them, you've got to take them all with a grain of salt. There was some real journalism, uh, but many of them were outright fiction or a little combination of both. But, I mean, despite the many differences between the, the two formats, the lessons gleaned from Gross's time in Pulps would certainly serve him well in the men's adventure field. Um, these two covers in particular struck me. They really seem to call back to an earlier era of adventure illustration. I mean, the pirate cover wasn't even associated with a story in that issue. It was, it was just a cover piece. But these, these are the two, two of the gross, probably the two main gross pieces for Mams that really called back to, the, to his pulp years for me. George was working, he started out in the pulps in the 30s, and he became a very popular pulp artist. I'm sure you know that. And, um, God, he, I mean, I remember him with the pulp covers. In fact, he, he saw so little of them. He'd give me, and this is not a, a, a lie or made up, he would give me his old canvases on stretcher bars very often. And he would say, turn them upside down and paint over them. You'll have free canvas. And I'd bring them into art school, and everyone was astounded at it. But he taught me to just ignore it, you know. The, the, <laughs> so I painted on these wonderful pulp cover masterpieces. <laughs> so help me, I wish I had them now. <laughs> They'd probably be worth a pile of money. But uh, anyway, that's the way two 
Woods treated his pulp stuff, and then he graduated to what they had uh, for a stretch there of digest-sized books that were like paperbacks, larger paperbacks. And then he went to, eventually to paperbacks. And his basic career was, um, uh, you know, pulps, uh, 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 digest size, and then, uh, and then uh, paperbacks. He did uh, a little magazine work, not very much, couple of, uh, a couple of illustrations here and there for the Men's Adventure magazines. Luckily, more than Mort was aware of, I think. Since we were able to make a book out of handful of jobs as a men's adventure illustrations, and he was most proud of that. So whatever he did do for them is what he was most proud of, because he did, as I say, just hundreds of pulp covers, hundreds of literary digests, and hundreds of, of uh, paperbacks. But that was the bulk of his his career. I mean, faces were a key uh, aspect of Gross's work, um, especially early on. I mean, you can see in 1953, when he's still working for the Pulps, he, he, may, he hasn't quite hit on the, uh, the kind of intensity that he'd bring to the faces in the best of his, his work for Men's Adventure magazines, but it does seem like he's on the road to it. Uh, the idea's developing anyway, and then by 1956, uh, he got where he was going to. As you can see, here are two more. Uh, Pretty intense. Both of these um, pieces were uh, were successful enough to be repeated, uh, reused, and applied to different stories than the ones we see here. Here's a, another pair of, I mean, just really just gripping uh, covers here. And here we see this one is has been uh, reversed and repurposed just a few years later. Um, I do want to mention, too, that a recent issue of Illustrator's Magazine, um, number 37, I think it's the issue before the current one, it included an, a very appreciative profile of Gross, that, uh, and the, the article reprints many uh, great paintings. Total coincidence, we learned of it just as we were going to press with George Gross covered. I do recommend you check it out, um, though the text draws pretty heavily from David Saunders' research. And I take issue with the author's claim that Gross's work for men's adventure magazines was in any way less interesting or less inspired than his work for the pulps. I mean, it's a matter of taste, um, but Gross's pulp work is full of treasures. And for someone to argue there's, there's no primo Gross work in men's, uh, artwork in men's adventure magazines, uh, I suspect the pieces in this book will come as a great surprise to them. Uh, now let's take a look, closer look at these, uh, this reuse, or this repurposing actually, for two separate stories, and we'll see what was changed. Yeah, the, the uh, 1957 story was intended to go with a story inside called Slaughter West of the Suez, which is about attacks by Arab Fedayeen terror terrorists on an Israeli village, and the, and the gross cover art was not used inside for that. But, but it did go with the story. The Man's Conquest, 1965, August, is about Franklin Roosevelt's eldest son, James Roosevelt, and his service with the Carlson's Raiders in World War II. Um, again, that cover art was not used inside, but it, it just, it sh it's interesting to see, again, how the artwork was repurposed and recycled in the magazines. The alteration of the background to fit the different story was fairly common uh, when a story from one of those magazines was later repurposed 
And in, uh, in this case, both of the magazines were owned uh, by publisher, were put out by publisher Morris Latson as part of his Sterling line of magazines. And uh, the guys in the background were changed to World War II soldiers. I'm not sure by whom, but White and I have talked about it. We both suspect George Gross was the one who made the changes. The two good guy figures up against the rock had their clothing changed. The face of the guy looking backwards is the same. The rock wall is the same. It's basically a seamless transition. So whoever did it was a, was a good artist, and we'd guess it was gross. But there's no way to know for sure. And, I mean, if, if his publishers could, uh, could reuse uh, gross artwork, well, gross could too. Yeah, in this case, you've got uh, <laughs> Blue Book for Men. You know, Blue Book, of course, the, started out as a pulp transitioned into being a men's adventure magazine in the 50s. And, uh, and that cover, you can see that the dog, and, uh, or almost looks like a wolf, but I, I think it's a dog in both cases with the big teeth. Uh, that was recycled later um, on the uh, cover art that George Gross did for um, uh, the Ad Avenger novel in 1973. Um, he's, of course, here the model for, for both of those. I know for sure the one on the right and probably the one on the left, Steve, the great Steve Holland. George also did, in addition to uh, the, the Avenger series, which is, those are pretty well known, he actually did the first 10 Mac Bolan Executioner covers. Uh, that were later taken over by Gil Cohen, another artist that, that we know and published a book about. And we, we did a, a, a book focusing on his executioner covers. And uh, he also, George also did a lot of great Nick Carter Killmaster covers, another character, of course, that has uh, pulp roots. So you can see that, let's take a little closer look at that puppy. Okay, so. It's obviously he didn't re, reapply the painting, but something we've noticed in, in our conversations with, with a lot of these illustrators is once they completed an image successfully, it was not a great challenge for them to repeat it. So we're guessing he either worked from the same reference image or worked from his own magazine cover to basically recreate it for, uh, for that one. And here's, here's another example of Gross uh, recreating a figure from a, a still rather shocking uh, Men's Adventure magazine cover uh, and applying it to a, a Nick Carter reprint 20 years later. <laughs> By the way, Sea for Men is a great, a great Men's Adventure magazine. I really like issues of Sea for Men. Uh, now, in, in, in previous slides, you've seen um, you know, images of George Gross that, that George was the model for, and... Uh, Images where George was the model for Mort Kunstler, and now, or where Kunstler was a, was a model for Gross, and and here we have Gross by Kunstler. I mean, there's no more convenient or a cheaper model than the guy at the drawing table next to yours. Well, no, I used him all the time because it was a free model, and he used me all the time because I was a free model. If you're interested in those photos, I've got plenty of them of me posing and George posing for me. And uh, if you're interested in them, I've got pictures of George. Uh, uh, I mean, I've got pictures of him. That, the cutest could be because 
it could be of a model posing running, and we want to get an effect so he, to get a hint of what it might look like. He'd hold the coat up as if it was flying back behind the guy, and he'd look at the camera and make funny faces, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've got a million photos of, uh, you know, George posing, uh, helping me pose. He poses as a model for me, too. And, and I'll just add yeah. for one second, we've been to Mort's house and looked at his, his cabinets full of reference photos, and it's amazing. Uh, and they're all organized. I mean, you get all di- kinds of different models, including George and Steve Holland and all of the various women that he used. It's amazing. Uh, Mort is really organized. Very organized. <laughs> Here we have uh, Kunstler again modeling for Gross. Now... Let's zoom in again, take a closer look uh, at the details of the cover arts, uh, of the adjustments to the cover art to suit the repurposing a year later. The man versus beast element uh, from, 50, uh, from the early co- earlier cover is pasted over, and he's meant to uh, represent famous bad guys who uh, went out in a hail of gunfire. <laughs> so my own preference is Mort as the survivor of a crocodile bloodbath, uh, but it's a great cover image either way. He was very conscious of, of, um, of light. Uh, it was very important because he was pretty much blind in one eye, and he needed good light. And um, so uh, that was the most important thing. He had to have a big north light window. Well, his greatest strengths were his abil- ability to paint very realistically. Uh, he was not a great composer. Uh, he he uh, he always got himself decent compositions, but it took a lot of work and a lot of studying of other compositions to figure out what he wanted to do. So that was not a strength. His painting was his strength. He drew well, so the hands looked like hands. Uh, you know, things were, were proper. Um, I don't know if perspective was a great strength of his, but um, uh, he was certainly a very capable and much better paperback artist than almost any of the others. He just painted them for years and years and did them well and did them better than everyone else. And basically, the situations were never that complex, so you didn't have to worry too much about perspective. You didn't have to worry too much about composition. There were just certain things you could do with a handful of figures. This is uh, one of the earliest examples of uh, young Mort Kunstler posing for Gross. Uh, this is for the cover of the 1952 reprint of House of Lost Women, as uh, cameo uh, paperback boarding house. Mort told us that uh, Gross viewed advertising with its respectability, uh, prestige, and, and significantly bigger paydays as the pinnacle for an illustration artist. Uh, but it was a peak that he says Gross uh, only managed to reach once in his career. Kunstler, meanwhile, would eventually leave Men's Adventure Illustration behind to work extensively in advertising, uh, becoming much in demand in that industry. Well, I'll tell you, most people, uh, this is even more to his credit, most people would have gotten jealous after a while because I surpassed him in the quality of the work and the amount of work and the prices that I was getting. 
And instead, that's all he did was encourage me. And he was just proud of me, that he had that influence on me. He kept busy all the time. And uh, he was just uh, as helpful as could be. And I used to say, well, why don't you do this? He'd make suggestions to me, showing me good points about a Dean Cornwall painting or a, uh, you know, a, a someone else, a Rockwell. And I said, well, why don't you do that? He said, I can see what's good and I know what's good, but I can't do it on my own work. He used to uh, copy a lot of composition and then photograph it so it was different. And uh, he really depended a lot on, on what he saw, whereas a lot of mine came out of my head from the text they gave me. You know? I think the, the key ingredient as far as becoming successful, there are two. One is you need the talent, of course. But there are a lot of people that have talent. The one ingredient that's missing, well, a lot of them don't succeed, is that if you don't have that burning in the belly to succeed more than anything in the world, then that's, you're not going to succeed. You have to feel like you'll work all night if you have to. You, you get so involved in the picture that you just want to be the best that you ever did. And it's always got to be the best that you ever did. And I tried to do that. Obviously, you don't turn out the best picture you ever did every time. Anyway, that was my thinking. And it gives you a good cut on it. And always, always a pleasure to reminisce about my dear friend. Uh, there is so much more to say, but we are running out of time. And... and I don't know if we're going to be able to squeeze in some questions. I mean, unfortunately, we did not get to talk about Gross's movie posters. Yeah, and uh, how one of his pulp covers from 1950 became the now iconic pulp fiction key art and movie poster. And, you know, I'd say also that pulp fiction, the movie, and that phrase, that sort of was a turning point in making the term pulp become broader beyond pulp magazines. For better or worse, some people don't like that, but the fact is when Pulp Fiction came out, it really increased interest just in that word and in the phrase Pulp Fiction, and it's been applied to a lot of other things besides pulp magazines since then. We also didn't get to talk about Gross's work for the record industry, like this striking Western Pulp meets Rockwell cover painting for one of the best-selling LPs of 1972, and therefore probably one of his most seen works. Now, there's one more thing that we can't, can't not address, since it's a major scoop. Um, this is never publicly revealed information about a massive pop culture phenomenon, and right in the middle of it, we find George Gross. Uh, a little background. In 1969, the Literary Guild Bulletin commissioned illustrations by Mort Kunstler to publicize a new novel by Men's Adventure Magazine writer-editor Mario Puzo. These were the first depictions anywhere of characters from The Godfather, and Kunstler asked Gross to model the title figure. So for the record, before the movie, before even the, even the book's release, the first person to portray Don Corleone was George Gross. <laughs> That is Kunstler's rough on the left, and then on the right we have the finished piece uh, as it's all print. You heard it here first, folks. 
<laughs> Do we have time? I don't even know where we're oh, at with time. Do we have time for questions? Sure. Any questions? Well, if, if we can answer them, we will. Or we'll just hum the Godfather theme until the next uh, speaker. <laughs> We've seen that painting, too, at uh, one of our shows. Pulp, that was the source for the Pulp Fiction movie poster. I think. What issue was that? Let's see. All true fact crime cases. 1950? Am I right on that? I can't remember now. That, that, that would be a, a crime magazine. Yeah, the crime pulps, they're less documented. I, I have trouble sometimes figuring out. We do have at least one lot of crime pulps, so look for it. Any other questions? I guess this means our talk was definitive. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, all. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a pulp event podcast. Brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines for over 25 years. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Also, look for the PulpNet on Facebook and on Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps. This pulp event podcast is copyright 2022 by William P. Lampkin, all rights reserved.